Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. Our first, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 17. <laughs> I think I know where we're going. <clears throat> there are a lot of fascinating stories in the Bible about Elijah. I'd like to spend some messages here, some time and some messages on, on preaching through the life of Elijah. Most of you have come through Sunday school class and you remember the flannel graph stories and how Elijah was fed with the ravens, how he raised the widow's son from death, how he called down fire from heaven at Mount Carmel, how he was taken up to heaven by a whirlwind. And I'd like us to look again at some of these great stories, the history of this Old Testament prophet. His ministry is recorded in the Bible from 1 Kings 17 uh, through 19 and then on into 2 Kings, the first two chapters, chapters 1 and 2. And so while our text this morning will just be the first verse in 1 Kings 17, we'll also be looking at James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 later on in the message. The name Elijah means Jehovah is my God. When Elijah stood against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and fire fell from heaven, it consumed the water-soaked sacrifice, the, the sacrifice itself, the stones that, were on, that made up the altar, the dust that was there, and it even licked up the, the water that was in the trench. The people responded. They fell on their faces and they said two words, Jehovah Elohim. They said it twice, Jehovah Elohim. The Lord, he is the God. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 39. I was thinking about Elijah's power as he preached and as he stood against King Ahab. And I was thinking about the response of the people of the children of Israel when this great victory took place on Mount Carmel. I realize the world today desperately needs to see men and women who will boldly say, Jehovah is my God. We need to live in such a way that others will know and respond to that truth in their own hearts that the Lord, he is the God. Title of the message this morning, Elijah, a man of prayer and boldness. 1 Kings 17, verse 1, you're there. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. First of all, notice that Elijah was a man. He was a Tishbite from Gilead. Gilead was a an area of rugged mountains that was east of the Jordan River. It was a, a rough terrain. It's difficult to determine what is meant by the designation a Tishbite. Uh, Tishbe may have been a town in that area, or it could have referred to a group of people, nomadic people, who had settled into that area. But in either case, it was not something that would have impressed anyone if they said, Elijah, where are you from? Well, I'm a Tishbite. I'm from Gilead. It's not like saying I'm from Jerusalem. And when you think about that and, and you have people ask you where you're from, where were you born, you didn't have a choice in that, did you? I didn't. I, I had no, no choice in the matter at all. It was, it was really God who decided that. Uh, Elijah was not chosen of God because of his pedigree. God told him what was going on in Israel. He gave him a message to deliver and a duty to perform. And Elijah simply obeyed. So don't think because of your family circumstances or your circumstances in life, where you were born, what opportunities you had or you didn't have, 
that God cannot use you. God has a specific plan for each one of us. And that includes where you were born, the family that you had, the circumstances of your life. He was a man. Uh, James 5.17 that says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now the Jews looked at Elijah and still do today as a great historical figure. He worked miracles. He fought against idolatry. Now, the Old Testament ends with the fact that Elijah would be the one to pave the way for Messiah. In Malachi chapter 4, the last two verses, 5 and 6, let me just read verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then no one heard from God for 400 years. The intertestament period was a time of silence. And that's why they said when John the Baptist came, are you Elijah? You know, are you Elias? The Bible says Elijah was a man. Sometimes we read about the lives of people that God has greatly used, whether it's a biography in church history or someone in scripture. And we, we almost elevate them to a place of, of, of a, a spiritual plane that's so high that no one could ever attain that. But they were men and women just like you and me. The Bible records their mistakes as well as how God used them. And that should encourage us, shouldn't it? Elijah was a man subject to like passions. That's with the same desires we have. The word like passions is only used one other time in the New Testament. And let me read that passage so we get an idea of what it means that Elijah was a man of like passions as we. Acts 14.15. Paul was at Lystra. He told the lame man who had never walked, by the way, stand up and walk. And he leaped up and walked. And the people thought Paul and Barnabas must be gods. This must be Zeus and Hermes. And the priest of Zeus himself came out to give a sacrifice to these two men. And Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on, and they, say, why? they said, why do ye these things? We are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God. So Elijah was not a god. He was not an angel. He was an ordinary human being who trusted and served the one true God. If God uses ordinary men... He can use you. The British evangelist Henry Varley once made the comment, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And we know who heard those words and who said, by God's grace, I'll be that man. It was Dwight Lyman Moody. Elijah was a man. Second, Elijah was bold. He was standing up against the powerful and wicked King Ahab. Let's think about uh, who this man was. I think the best concise description of Ahab is found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. Just turn back to that, and I'll read that. 1 Kings 16, 29. Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which had been built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger 
than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Think about Ahab's family. His father was Omri. Omri ruled in Israel for 12 years. He was more interested in getting along with the nations to the north than in doing what was right in God's sight. And so he made an allegiance to the Phoenicians. And that alliance included the marriage of his son to the Phoenician princess Jezebel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, the law clearly and strictly prohibited marriage with foreign nations. And it gives the reason there because foreign wives would cause their sons to worship false gods. And that's exactly what happened with Jezebel. Jezebel's father was Ethbaal. His name means living with Baal. He was a king of Sidon. Uh, Tyre, Tyre and Sidon were together. Tyre was the central place for Baal worship. Kyle and Delich say that Baal was the supporter of the first principle of psychical life and of the generative and reproductive power of nature. Kind of sounds like the New Age movement. (laughs) But that's what was Baal worship. It also included the worship of the goddess Astarte. The Zondervan Bible Encyclopedia says, In Jezebel, the reckless and immoral habits of the worst side of Oriental royalty, united with the aggressive strength of the Phoenicians and the savage religious fanaticism of her father, Ethbaal. So that's Ahab's family. Think about his reputation. It says here that he was worse than Jeroboam compared to the light thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. The sins of Jeroboam were not light, but compared to Ahab, they were. Jeroboam was the king of Israel who set up the two golden calves for Israel to worship when they were a divided kingdom, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And like Aaron, he tried to identify the one true God with bull worship or calf worship from Mesopotamia. You remember what Aaron said? These be your gods which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That wasn't the case. Leon Woods writes, The earlier sin of Jeroboam, establishing the golden calf worship, had been serious enough, but this introduction of the Baal cult was much worse. It involved an outright substitution of deity as well as disregarding licentious observances, including religious, uh, degrading licentious observances, including religious prostitution. So Israel, how do, they, how do they get on such a slippery slope downward? First, they started by adding religions of their own in their worship of God. Just some golden calves to remind us of who God is. Then they departed from God altogether. Syncretism is something that is known as taking bits and pieces of other religions and adding them to your own. And that's what Israel was doing. And by the way, that's what's taking place in, our, in Christianity today at an alarming rate. The church has been tolerating the mixture so long that they're blind to the fact that they're now worshiping a false god, the wrong god. The list of evil kings in Israel is long. The wickedness of Nabad and Basha and Elah and Zimri and Tibni and Amri is recorded 1 Kings 16.25 says, Omri was worse than all that were before him. And if you closed your Bible then, you say, boy, Omri was the worst guy ever. But verse 30 says, Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. 
And then in verse 33, he did more to provoke the Lord of God to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. There are many evil men in our world today. They are power hungry. They are out of control. They are men who lie and cheat and take whatever they want and murder. Paul warned Timothy that in the last days, perilous times would come. And that word perilous means savage. I believe we're living in them. And evil can seem overwhelming. But God raises up people. He always has at just the right moments in history. And he gives those people courage to stand for him. Are you willing and ready for God to use you? Will you be an Elijah today? How could Elijah be so bold and stand up against this wicked king? The answer is in our text, 1 Kings 17.1. First of all, Elijah knew that God was alive. He said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. Is God alive in your life? Do you speak to him? Do you live for him? Do you walk with him? Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God, because he he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you live like he is? Or do you go day to day just like life goes on and God's not even a part of your life? To everyone else living in the divided kingdom, where evil kings seem to be in charge, it may have appeared that God was nowhere to be found. Elijah knew God was alive. Secondly, he knew that God was his sovereign authority and not man. Look at that phrase, before whom I stand. Now you think about it, he's standing right in front of Ahab, but he's saying, God before whom I stand. He realized that he was answerable to a higher authority than Ahab. God is the one whom we must fear. And when you fear God, you will not fear men. Third, he delivered God's message. What did he say? There shall be no dew nor rain these years. This particular message was not something Ahab was uh, delighted to hear, or Israel for that matter. There's going to be a three and a half year drought in the whole land. No rain, not even dew. Drought meant poverty, hunger, famine, death. He delivered God's message even though it was not a popular one. Fourth, he believed God. He told Ahab the drought will take place according to my word. He knew that this was God's message, but he knew that he was delivering God's message, and so he calls it his word. You'll find the phrase, the word of the Lord, 15 times in this, those five chapters that I said that uh, Elijah's life is, is contained in. 1 Kings 17, 1 to 2 Kings 2, 25. And God spoke to the prophet Elijah with, with clarity. He knew what God said. When you go through his life, it's amazing to see how God spoke to him and told him exactly where to go. He directed his steps. 1 Kings 17, 2 and 3, we'll see next week, or the next time we're here, the the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. In chapter 18, verse 1, God tells him again to show himself to Ahab. It came to pass many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. (laughs) In that encounter, 
Uh, Ahab said, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You know, he wasn't happy with what Elijah was doing. But God's word told him to show himself again to Ahab. God's word validated his ministry. When God raised the widow of Zarephath's son from the dead through Elijah, she said in 1 Kings 17, 24, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in, the, in thy mouth is truth. Oh, that people today would look at us and say, We know that the word of the Lord is true because of what you said and because of how you live. We can learn from Elijah how to take a bold stand against the wickedness of the Ahabs of our day. Know that God is alive. Remember that he is your ultimate authority. Don't fear men. Keep delivering God's message. Keep going to the people that you've talked to already and say, when are you going to accept Christ? He died for you. It's very clear in Scripture what you must do to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. When are you going to do that? Deliver God's message. Know and obey the word of God. Elijah was a man. Elijah was bold. Last, Elijah prayed. Let's turn now to James, New Testament book. During our Wednesday night prayer services, we've been studying Many of the prayers that are found in the Bible, we recently looked at the two prayers of Elijah here in James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Those two prayers, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and then three and a half years later, he prayed that rain would come, and both prayers were answered. James 5, verse 16, confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Elijah was bold because he spent time with God in prayer. He knew how to pray. Every believer has access to God in prayer. Jesus is our high priest. When you trusted him as your savior, he became your high priest. In Hebrews 4.16, it says to the Christian, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to his throne of grace. Don't hesitate. The way has been paved by the blood of Christ. The door is open. He invites you to come. Every believer has access to God. Secondly, we need to learn to pray the way Elijah prayed. His prayer was clearly stated. It was specific, that it might not rain. Some of our prayers that we pray are so vague that we wouldn't know if God did answer them. George Mueller was on an ocean liner. He was caught in a dense fog off the coast of Newfoundland. It was Wednesday evening, and the captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours, and then he was startled by Mueller tapping on his shoulder. Mueller said, I need to be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. The captain said, that's impossible. There's nothing I can do about the fog. Mueller said, let's go down into the chart room and pray. The captain thought he was crazy. He said, do you know how dense the fog is? Mueller said, no, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. 
Once in the chart room, Mueller got down on his knees and prayed, O Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. Thou knowest the engagement. Thou didst make it for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is thy will. Within a matter of minutes, the fog lifted. <laughs> Elijah prayed that it might not rain. We need to be specific in our prayers. We have a God who knows what's happening in our lives. He wants us to pray specifically. Elijah's prayer was based, secondly, on the truth of the scriptures. God gave Israel instructions before they entered into the promised land. They're recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let me just read 13 through 17 because it has specific relevance to what's going on in Israel at this time with Ahab. And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And that hadn't been taking place in Israel, by the way. If you do that, verse 14, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain. And thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil. And I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, and thou mayest eat and be full. And then the warning, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, that there be no rain, and that the, the land yield not her fruit, unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. When we pray, we should make sure that our prayers are based on the promises that God has already given in his word. Find a Bible verse that you can claim and have faith as you pray. Maybe you're praying for God to supply a need. I think we've all been to Philippians 4.19 during those times and, and said, Lord, you've said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You can claim that promise. Maybe you're praying for a lost one. Just claim 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can pray for a lost loved one and claim that verse. God will bring them to himself. If you're facing a difficult decision, quote James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Pray the promises of God. That's what Elijah did. Last, his prayer was effectual and fervent. James uses Elijah as a man he mentions in James 5.16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Then he uses Elijah. What a great truth. In that, in that verse, verse 16, we see the manner of our prayers. Prayer must be effectual and fervent. Those two words translate one Greek word, energeo. It means to be mighty, to be efficient, to accomplish something. When you get down on your knees, are your prayers efficient? Does God hear them and answer? Effectual, fervent prayers. 
the manner of our prayer. We also see the preparation of the heart in prayer. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man. We're given the righteousness of Jesus Christ at the moment of our salvation. And we're to live up to that standard by making sure our lives are right with God on a daily basis. Prepare your heart. Come on praying grounds. Know that there's nothing between you and the Lord. Open your heart to him and pray. Prepare your heart. We also see the answers by God to prayer. The last two words, availeth much. Prayer avails. Prayer works. It is productive. God answers. Are you bold in your stand for Christ like Elijah was? Are you powerful in your prayer life like Elijah was? Nothing is too hard for God. We all know that. Elijah was just a man, but he believed God. God can accomplish his work in and through you if you fully surrender to him. He was bold because God was greater than any wicked human ruler, and God is still on the throne today. He's still our highest authority. Elijah experienced God's answers to his prayers. God still answers prayers today. Let's look to him. Lord, I pray that in this passage of Scripture, we would have not just seen a man who said, Jehovah is my God, but a man who is an example to us to say the same thing, Jehovah is our God. Help us to live as though we believe you are alive because you are. Help us to live with boldness against the evil men of our day because you've given us your word. You've given us truth. You've told us you'll, you'll bless those who stand for you. And help us to experience answers to prayer. To spend more time on our knees fervently, effectually, praying, pouring out our hearts to God after our, our lives are made righteous. And help us to see those answers to prayer. That our world would not go on the same direction it's going. That our lives will not be meaningless and fruitless. Work in us. Work through us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.